oppression, and yet the oppressors have failed, that the gospel in this case, as we look to our passage today, the gospel is undefeated. Although enemies hounded, the Lord is righteous, and although the cords bound the apostle Paul, the Lord has cut those free, and the gospel remains unhindered. We'll be looking together at this in uh, our text, Philippians 1, verses 15 to 18, but first in connection with that, we'll be reading together from 1 Corinthians 3, the verses 1 to 11. The Apostle Paul is speaking to factions that were in the Corinthian church here, groups that were vying in competition with one another and speaking down to one another. He writes here, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase." Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and to each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now move ahead to the letter to the Philippians, the same Apostle Paul. We're in Corinthians, so it's Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll be reading the verses 15 to 18. That will be the focus of our passage. We'll actually start a little bit before that to be reminded of where the Apostle Paul finds himself, the situation in which he finds himself. So verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And here comes our text for today. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. 
so far at the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this past week you may have noticed something that, or in the last couple weeks, that has really come to the forefront in the news. There's been a lot of news coverage of a man named Kanye West since his album was released. So who is this man? And what's this all about? Kanye West was a music artist who would be the first to say that he was godless, blasphemous even. He's got a song from back in 2013 in which he says, I am a God. And he says, I am a God. There ain't no way I'm giving up on my God. Those are the lyrics on that. He's not going to give up on himself, worshiping himself as God. And yet six years later, 2019, he claims to be converted. He's a new man in Christ, he says. And with the release of his newest album, Jesus is King, he wants to drive that message home. In his song, Hands On, he talks about how he's been working for the devil his whole life long. He says, I told the devil when I see him on sight, I've been working for you my whole life. Now, understandably, there have been a lot of questions around his claims. If he was to fall again after this, this would not be the first time that a music artist rose up in prominence in the Christian world because of his background and yet departed from that after. He's also thrown a lot of confusion into the mix by some decisions which don't necessarily seem very Christian. And yet, Christ is preached. What are we to make of that? In other situations that we run into today in modern society where we see Christ being preached and yet it's not the way that we would look at things, what are we to make of that? Today the Apostle Paul continues his missionary report and he responds to a wave of preachers who have risen up in recent times, people who are preaching the gospel while he is in chains. Some of them are actually doing it in order to hurt him. And some of it are doing it out of love for him. But whatever the reason is, here's the point that the Holy Spirit makes through the Apostle Paul today. It's not about the individual, but it's about Christ. This is something that he brings up already in Corinthians as well, that passage we read. No other foundation can be laid except that which is Christ. It's not about the individual, it's about Christ, the gospel. People come and people go, but the gospel will remain. Isaiah 40 verse 8, right? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The gospel goes out unchained, as we saw when we looked at the first half of Paul's report. Unchained, unhindered, and exploding across the world. Today, I preach to you God's word under the following theme, Paul's missionary report, part two, the gospel preached. And we'll see how Christ is victorious over false motives, and second, Christ is glorified by true motives. So when you are looking at this passage, you may have noticed some preach Christ from envy and strife, supposing to add affliction to my chains. And you might be thinking, how does that work? What does it mean to preach the gospel from false motives? Is that even possible? 
Well, to be clear, we're not talking about false teachers here. Just to give a picture of the false teachings that were going on in Paul's day, when he wrote his letter in the Galatian churches, he was rebuking a group of those who called themselves the circumcision party of Christianity. And this was a group of believers who said that you had to obey all of the ceremonial parts of God's law in addition to Christianity. You had to be circumcised in addition to Christianity or else you couldn't be saved. Then you also ran into the Corinthian church here where in the letter that we were reading to, there were people who were encouraging a very liberal kind of Christianity in which you could get away with all kinds of stuff and live in whatever way you really saw fit. And the Apostle Paul rebukes that kind of teaching as well. He's very, very clear when he rebukes false teaching. So the point here is not false teaching. The point here is the reason why they were preaching. These teachers that were facing off against the Apostle Paul weren't necessarily teaching wrong things. They were telling the world that Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Messiah. That Jesus Christ came to earth to die for sinners. Let us live lives of thankful love in response to him. They were saying, let us live obediently to Christ who's on the throne. They weren't necessarily teaching something that was wrong. But just because they weren't teaching that which was wrong, just because they weren't teaching heresy, did not mean that they were friends of the Apostle Paul. These were not kind, compassionate men. They, for one reason or another, they despised the Apostle Paul. While they were preaching the right words, they were doing their best to undermine Paul personally in his ministry. They were arguing that his very imprisonment was proof that God was not with him. And this is what he means when he says they were supposing to add affliction to my chains. Not only was he having to suffer the very fact of chains, but he was also having to suffer from men who were saying that he rightly deserved those chains. They were proof of God's punishment. That's how they were adding affliction to it. When he himself was just there for the sake of of the gospel. More than that, they were using his imprisonment for reasons of selfish ambition. Saying the fact that he was in, imprisoned proved that God was not with him, allowed them to say that their own freedom proved that they were on the right side. God was with them, not with Paul. And therefore, people should listen to and follow them and not Paul. And the, the fact that they were talking this way especially distressed the Philippians. Because if you remember, they were very, very close to the Apostle Paul during his time as a missionary. They had been the ones who, from basically day one in his time in Philippi, when he had established the church, they were the ones who were coming alongside of him. They were the ones who were walking with him, who were sending him support. They really loved him, and they had been close closely following his ministry so far. They had him, his back every step of the way, supporting him financially and in prayer. If you want a comparison, it would be like Reverend Bedard, whose mission and work in Quebec we support. 
It would be like him being imprisoned for preaching the gospel and then others in his federation saying that this was God's punishment on him for teaching the way that he did and that, he, that uh, people should listen to the way that they teach and preach the gospel instead. This would make us here in Owen Sound very upset, wouldn't it? Because we care about him. We support him financially and in prayer. We love them for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the work that they are doing. The Philippian church knew that Paul wasn't being imprisoned as punishment from God for teaching falsely, and so it disturbed them greatly that these kinds of things were coming forward, that there were people rising up, teaching and preaching, and undermining the Apostle Paul. But what does the Apostle Paul say here? How does he respond to these people who are undermining his work? The Apostle Paul knows who's behind it. It's the work of the devil. The devil is the one who divides. The devil is the one who especially delights in pitting Christians against one another, who enjoys stirring up trouble and arguments in the church. But the funny thing is this. The Apostle Paul isn't concerned. He doesn't care that these people mean him harm. Instead, he sees their actions as becoming a reason for him to rejoice. He says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. You see, the devil thinks that he's winning because he's dividing people, but here's the catch. The gospel is still being preached. Paul doesn't say what he says because he's such a humble person. He says this because he sees the gospel as being so much more than just him alone. The gospel is about more than just one preacher. And even if unsavory people, unkind people, preach the gospel, the point is this. The gospel's going out. These believers are still evangelizing, and they are still preaching Christ to an unbelieving world. Because remember, their motives might be false, but their teaching is still the gospel. They are not teaching falsely. Consider what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9, verses 49 to 50. Now John answered the apostle John. He's walking, one of the disciples, he's walking alongside Jesus at this point in Jesus' ministry. And, and he says to Jesus, Master, we, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, but we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. Yes, he used your name, but he doesn't teach like us. He's not in our camp. He's in a different group. He's all by himself. And so we stopped him. But Jesus said to them, Do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is on our side. And again in Mark 9, verses 39 to 40, talking about this exact same time, it's expanded on. Here Christ says, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. 
Jesus is not saying that such a person will never speak evil of him. He might down the road. But he's saying he can't so soon after speak evil. And in the meantime, the gospel is going out. So if he's truly talking about the lordship of Christ, don't oppose and undermine him, he says to his disciples. When he wanders, yes, that'll be a time to confront. But while Christ is being preached, rejoice. We don't need to accept people like this as our own teachers, as our own leaders. Christ certainly didn't. The Apostle Paul certainly didn't. And the Apostle Paul didn't counsel the Philippian church to accept them as leaders, although he could have. He didn't. We don't look to people like this as Christian leaders for our own circles or our own community. And the Apostle Paul even agreed with them that the motives of some of these who opposed him were false. But when they preach Christ, even from false motives, this is a reason to rejoice because the gospel is being proclaimed. What the devil meant for division became an avenue for the further spread of the gospel. They're being spurred on, feeling that they themselves were personally right in their cause, being spurred on to spread the gospel even more, was an avenue of victory for the gospel, not for Christ. And so whether in Paul's chains or out in the free world, the gospel is victorious. And so Paul isn't refusing to care about what people say because he's such a humble person, but because the gospel going out means so much more to him than what other people think of him. Maybe he did do harm to Paul's own reputation. Those other teachers did do harm. Maybe people had decided that they weren't going to be fans of the Apostle Paul anymore, that they were going to follow a different teacher, that they were going to follow a different Christian leader. And yet, Paul's declaration in this missionary report is to rejoice. And the same is true today. Even if someone's motives may not be true. Take the modern day example again of Kanye's album. We don't know his motives, but let's just say that they're false for a moment. That they're a gimmick, a way to make big money off of Christians, that it's all an advertisement. Yet, a few days ago, the words, Jesus is King, hung in huge letters over Times Square. Times Square, New York, possibly the most secular place in all of America. Jesus is king. Many people who have commented under his videos have also spoken of how they have come to the church for the first time in 10 or 15 years. They're coming under the influence of the gospel. It's not about the individual. The gospel goes beyond just individuals. The gospel is alive. The gospel has a force of its own. It is the sword of the Spirit. It changes people. 
We can wait and see when it comes to individuals. We can wait and see the fruit that comes from their lives. We don't need to immediately dive in and embrace them as an ally. And yet, we can still rejoice in the gospel itself. Whether from good motives or bad, the gospel is preached. Christ is victorious, and in this we rejoice. And this brings us to our second point. Christ is glorified by true motives. It's not just important for us to realize that Christ's gospel can be victorious over false motives. But it's really important for us personally as Christians to recognize this second point as well. That Christ is glorified through true motives. We read here, in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. On looking at this, one thought might be, well, my own motives can be mixed, can't they? Can my own motives be completely pure? Well, I want you to pay special attention here to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 17. Verse 17, the latter do this out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. True motives doesn't mean that it needs to be absolutely pure and spotless. It doesn't need to be without spot or without sin or that would rule out all of his congregation. Nobody who followed the Apostle Paul would be able to share the gospel. No one is without sin. Members of the church in Rome where Paul is writing from, to the Philippian church certainly weren't. And yet the Holy Spirit tells us that their motives were still true. So what does it mean that they had true motives? It meant that what they were doing was done out of love. True motives meant that they were sharing the gospel because it was done out of love. But what did that look like? Well, in the first place, it meant that they understood the apostle Paul was appointed to the defense of the gospel. They understood that he was a missionary, not some self-appointed traveler off to see the world and maybe evangelize if somebody asked him what he believed, but he had been appointed as a missionary. And you see this same kind of language coming up in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, where he describes his calling as a missionary to, he describes this to the Galatian church. He describes how he had been separated from his mother's womb for the task. This was well before he was a Christian, you might notice. And he had been called by grace to go share the gospel with the Gentiles. But it didn't stop there. He wasn't just appointed to the gospel, but in the second place, Christians around Paul saw that he was appointed to the defense of the gospel. They could see that his greatest passion was to know that the gospel was going out. The gospel, seeing people brought from darkness into light, meant even more to him than his own freedom. The gospel was above all for him. And this is why he ended up in prison in the first place. So these people who are doing this from true motives, they recognize that the greatest testament to Paul's work is to glorify Christ, to share the gospel. And so out of love, having recognized that this was what he had been called to do, 
And now he is not able to fulfill his calling. This is what they do. When he's no longer able to share the gospel in the public square because of his imprisonment, they in turn stepped up. Regular, everyday believers. They became his comrades in arms, you might say. They became his fellow workers, picking up where he had left off. They genuinely loved him. And they saw that this was his passion and this was his calling. And so in love for him, they wanted to see his work continue, even in his absence. The gospel that brought life to them was not meant to fall to the ground and die, but instead it springs up through them, bearing fruit many times over. And so the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached out of the motive of love, beloved brothers and sisters, pardon me, where love is the driving motivation, Christ is glorified. And in this too, Paul rejoices. Christ's gospel is victorious when it's preached from false motive, sure. But where Christ is preached out of love, his name is glorified. And in this we rejoice. And here's where we as Christians can reflect today, beloved. We can come to a time when it seems like we are oppressed on every side. We can question our abilities. We can question our talents. I'm no pastor. I don't know enough. I don't have all the answers. But you have the gospel, and that is enough. We are Sinners, yes. We are equally in desperate need for saving. No one is any better off than anyone else with regards to that. But Christ has come as the Savior for whoever believes in him. And we love him because he first loved us. And so we want to live for him out of love and out of thankfulness. This is the gospel. As simple as that. We may doubt our skills, but the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate author of the Apostle Paul's letter today, tells us that it doesn't matter when it comes to our skills because the gospel is preached. As long as Christ is the foundation, we know why Christ had to come. We know what Christ did, and we know that we respond in love and thankfulness, then the gospel is preached. And in this, the Spirit of God rejoices as well. When we have fathers who loyally teach their children the riches of the gospel around the dinner table, when we have mothers who quietly whisper their prayers as they lay their children down to sleep, when we have grandfathers who take their children, who take the grandchildren on their knees and they speak of the Lord's faithfulness through the generations. When we have grandmothers who speak to their granddaughters on how to live in light of the gospel blessings that they have received as children of the covenant, 
when we have coworkers or classmates who ask us what we did on Sunday, and we have the opportunity to share the gospel with them, that Jesus died for sinners and whoever believes in him will be saved. When we talk about it as young people in Bible study, when we talk with those who struggle with the same sins that we do, whether believers or non-believers, and how we use this gospel for protection, and how we speak of deliverance and freedom and our new identity in Christ. The Spirit of God rejoices because the gospel is preached. And so as these opportunities arise, beloved, young and old, boys and girls, husbands, wives, parents, grandparents, let's rejoice. Because the gospel is going out through us, the Spirit of God is working through us, and he is rejoicing at what's happening through us. Yes, we might not be as gifted as some, and we might not say things in quite the right way. We would not be the first. Do you remember when they were talking about factions in letter to the Corinthians, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. I'll consider Apollos with me for a second. Acts 18, 26. In Acts 18, verse 26, we read about a man who had been instructed in the way of the Lord, who was fervent in spirit, so he was really passionate, and he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, although he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla, these are two believers who are more mature in their faith, they heard him, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. He was a man who, when he began, didn't have the right words. We might not be as gifted as some. We might not have the right words to say. We might not say them in the, quite the right way, but the gospel is going out. Christ is still preached, and in this we rejoice. So, beloved, where from good motives or from bad, whether from popular icons or from our own not super-skilled and educated selves, however imperfectly, if Christ is preached, the gospel goes out and let us rejoice. Let us seek to encourage and support each other in sharing of this gospel message. And let's rejoice together with the Spirit of God who is at work in and through us as we together preach this gospel. Amen.